The writing pair of Stephen Revell and Christopher Wilkinson teamed up to write a few movies that we've covered here on the show. 2001's Ali, starring Will Smith, and 2014's Pawn Sacrifice, starring Tobey Maguire. And while we haven't covered them, the duo of writers have also teamed up for other films that might turn into future episodes, 1995's Nixon, 2006's Copying Beethoven, and this year's Bohemian Rhapsody, just to name a few. While some of those are more fictionalized than others, I think it's safe to say Stephen and Christopher are no strangers to movies that are based on a true story. Today, we're going to be looking at yet another film of theirs that has a shred of truth. 2016's Birth of the Dragon is based on a July 1980 article written by Michael Dorgan in the official karate magazine called Bruce Lee's Toughest Fight. It's the tale of a fight, now legendary in the martial arts world, between a young Bruce Lee and a Shaolin teacher named Wong Jackman. After release, Birth of the Dragon received less than positive reviews that even warranted a public statement from Bruce Lee's daughter, Shannon, who wanted to make it clear that her family had nothing to do with the making of the film. So why was there so much controversy about the accuracy of the film? Let's find out as we attempt to separate fact from fiction in Birth of the Dragon. I'm Dan Lefebvre, and this is Based on a True Story. Before we get started, let's set up our two truths and a lie game. If you're new to the show, here's how it works. I'm about to say three facts. Two of them are true, which means one of them is a lie. Okay, are you ready? Number one, Bruce Lee and Wong Jackman really did fight. Number two, Steve McKee really did free his girlfriend thanks to the fight between Lee and Wong. Number three, Bruce Lee did change his fighting style after the fight with Wong. Got him? Okay, now as you're listening to our story today, you'll find the two facts scattered somewhere throughout the episode, and then by a process of elimination, you'll know which one is a lie. And of course, we'll do a recap at the end of the episode to see how well you did. While I've got you here, though, I want to say a quick thank you to Shandell Whitney, a self-described history and true crime buff from the beautiful White Mountains of northern New Hampshire. Shandell became an official producer of the show, which means she got to pick a movie to jump to the front of the line. This one. Thanks so much for your support, Shandell. All right, so let's get to it as we compare history with Hollywood's version of Birth of the Dragon. The movie begins with some text on the screen explaining the overall gist for what we're about to see. According to that text, in 1964, Bruce Lee fought with a Shaolin master named Wong Jackman, who many believe was trying to punish Lee for teaching Westerners Kung Fu. And that's all true, as long as we focus on the word believe being one of the key words of that phrase. There was a fight between the two martial artists, and there are many who believe Wong Jackman's purpose for fighting Bruce Lee was retribution for coming to the United States and teaching Kung Fu. But as we'll learn today, just because some people believe that doesn't mean that everyone does. After this brief bit of text to kick off the film, we're whisked away to the beautiful countryside of the Henan province in 1963. Here, we're introduced to Yu Xia's version of Wong Jackman as he's fighting a Tai Chi Grand Master, as played by Wang Xian. 
With dozens of monks looking on from both sides, Wong Jackman is on the losing end of this fight. He gets knocked down and, clearly upset, flips up before delivering a devastating kick to the chest of the Tai Chi Grandmaster. Just then, the movie cuts to black. That's all made up. At least, there's nothing that I could find to prove that this sort of fight happened or that Wong Jackman lost his temper in a demonstration fight with a Tai Chi Grandmaster. Then again, there's a lot of undocumented history and Wong Jackman's personality was such that he specifically avoided the spotlight. He didn't like to be in the public's eye, which unfortunately means there's not a lot of reports and documentation on him. As a result, there's a lot of facts we don't know about him. What we do know, though, is that Wong Jackman was born in 1940 in Hong Kong. As a young man, he trained under a northern Shaolin Kung Fu master, Kyo Yu Cheong. In the early 20th century, Kyo Yu Cheong earned a name for himself as a legendary martial artist. He was referred to as one of the five tigers and is credited with reviving martial arts across much of China, in particular as he traveled southern China teaching his northern Shaolin style. As a youngster, Wang Jackman joined his Sifu, or teacher, across southern China performing demonstrations and helping spread the desire to learn martial arts to as many as they could. If you listened to the episode on the movie Ip Man, then you'll know about Bruce Lee's legendary teacher. Well, Kyo Yu Chiang may not have had a movie made about him, but he was legendary in his own right. Speaking of Ip Man, the movie actually mentions him briefly when Philip Ung's version of Bruce Lee mentions that after they found out Bruce Lee's grandmother was white, they made Ip Man stop teaching Bruce. Then, at another point in the movie, Bruce tells Billy Magnuson's character Steve McKee that he was sent to the United States after getting in a fight. Not just any fight, though. According to the movie's version of events, Bruce Lee broke the leg of a kid who happened to be the son of a Ching Hu Tong boss. In retaliation, the triad put out a hit on Bruce Lee, whose father appeased them by making a deal. Bruce would go on to the U.S. and leave them alone if, in return, they'd leave him alone. Together, these two stories give us an idea of how the movie implies Bruce Lee made his way to the United States. There's some elements of truth in there, but the full truth is a bit different. You see, Bruce Lee was born in the United States. Lee John Fan, which we hear Wong Jackman say in the movie, was the young boy's given name when he was born on November 27, 1940, in San Francisco. The surname being flipped, of course, from what we're accustomed to here where I'm at in the United States. As the story goes, he got the name Bruce from a nurse at the hospital where he was born, and although his immediate family used his given name as a child, obviously we know him as Bruce Lee today. When the movie mentions his grandmother was white, what they're probably referring to was his mom's mom. I say probably because, well, we don't know a lot about his mother's heritage. We know her name was Grace Ho, and she was the daughter of a wealthy man in Hong Kong named Ho Kam Tong. But others speculate perhaps Grace was adopted since many believe Tong had some 12 wives and upwards of 30 kids. While we don't know a lot about Grace's ancestry, what we do know is that despite growing up in a wealthy household, she became infatuated with a very famous opera singer and film actor named Li Hui Chun. Despite what had to have been some strong pressures otherwise, 
Grace followed her heart and ran off with a dashing young Lee. The two were married in 1907. Earlier, I mentioned the episode we did a few months back about the movie Ip Man. In that story, we learned about the Japanese invasion of China and how that affected the man who would become Bruce Lee's teacher. Well, while that was happening to Ip Man, Grace and her husband avoided the conflicts at home thanks to his talents. It was during a year-long tour of the United States for the Cantonese Opera Company that Grace and Lee welcomed Lee John Fan into the world. He didn't stay in the United States for long, though. Although many of his colleagues decided to stay in the U.S. due to the conflicts in China, Lee Huai Chion decided to take his family back home after Bruce's birth. Only a few months later, the Lee family was one of many who endured Japanese occupation of their home during World War II. Thanks in no small part to the wealth from his mother's side of the family, after the war ended, Bruce received a great education. But Hong Kong was hardly a stable place, even after the war ended. With communist China nearby while Hong Kong remained a British colony, that meant there was an influx of people flooding into Hong Kong, trying to flee the violence erupting around them. As a result, there was plenty of violence on the streets of Hong Kong as well. Even the Lee family fortune couldn't keep young Bruce out of the fighting, though, and after having been involved in numerous fights on the street, his parents decided they should find someone to train him in martial arts. So that's how Bruce Lee was eventually introduced to Ip Man, who himself had become local legend of sorts. That was before Bruce's 17th birthday in 1957. Ip Man taught Bruce Lee a style of fighting called Wing Chun. And although Ip Man wasn't always hands-on personally with the training of his students, Bruce Lee was an exception. Ip Man found young Bruce to be a quick, talented student who was one of the few who he taught personally. Okay, so that's the first half of the stories that we heard about in the film about how Bruce Lee came to the United States. As we learned, the truth is a little bit more complicated than the movie makes it seem. But the other part of the story, according to the movie, is from that scene I mentioned a few moments ago where Philip Ung's version of Bruce Lee tells Billy Magnuson's character, Steve McKee, that he broke the leg of a kid who happened to be the gang boss's son. Then he was sent to the U.S. in an agreement between Bruce's father and the infamous triad gang. At least that's the movie's version. Well, it is true that it was a fight that caused Bruce Lee to ultimately return to the United States. If you remember, the whole reason why Bruce Lee started training with Ip Man was because of street fights. They were all too common, it would seem. Well, in the early months of 1959, just a couple of years after beginning his training with Ip Man, Bruce Lee got into another street fight. This time, the cops were called, and the cops gave his parents an ultimatum. One more fight, and Bruce gets sent to jail. So, in April of 1959, Bruce Lee moved in with Agnes, his older sister, who was already living in San Francisco. The weather is getting nicer, which means now is the perfect time to plan ahead for summer fun. Personally, I'm hoping to be able to visit my family this summer, and that means booking flights as soon as possible before the prices go up. And now you can help ensure your money is there when you need it with today's sponsor, Earn In. Just download the Earn In app, verify your paycheck, and watch your earnings tick up as you work. 
access up to $100 a day and up to $750 per pay period so you can start making your summer plans now. It's free and easy to get started. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earnin. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. As far as I can tell, there was no gang involvement in the decision for Bruce's move to the United States. But then again, I guess if there was, it wouldn't really be something that was documented very well. Regardless of the means, the end result was the same. An 18-year-old Bruce Lee had returned to where he was born, in San Francisco, California. But not for long. Just a few months after moving to the U.S., he moved to Seattle, where he worked for a family friend while he finished his high school education. Then, in March of 1961, Bruce Lee began his college career as he enrolled in the University of Washington with a major in drama. It was here that he met a woman named Linda Emery, The two were married in 1964 and would end up having two kids together, Brandon and Shannon. As a little side note, if you've ever seen the 1994 dark film The Crow, that lead role was Brandon Lee. Sadly, he passed away during the filming of The Crow when one of the guns used as a prop had a live round in it instead of a blank. So the movie is correct when there's a brief mention from Philip Ung's version of Bruce Lee that he married a white woman. It was Linda. Speaking of which, back in the movie, one of the major plot points occurs with a character I've only mentioned briefly up until now, Steve McKee, and his love interest, a woman named Quan Shulan, who's played by Jing Jing Chu. According to the movie, Steve is trying to rescue Shulan from Auntie Blossom, a character played by Zing Jin, and her gang by orchestrating the fight between Wong Jackman and Bruce Lee. That happens, as the movie story states, So the gang can place some $15 million in bets on the result of the fight. All of that is made up. In fact, the addition of a fictional character named Steve McKee at the center of the entire story was not received well at all. The character of Steve McKee was named by the filmmakers after the legendary Hollywood actor Steve McQueen. Although the real Steve McQueen was a fan of martial arts, he had nothing to do with the fight. He wasn't even around at the time. So, the addition of Steve McKee in the film was seen as whitewashing. Basically, in truth, there weren't any white people pivotal to the fight between Wong Jackman and Bruce Lee. And that begs the question, if it had nothing to do with saving a girl from the clutches of a crime family, what was the real reason for the fight? Well, we really don't know. You see, it depends on who you ask. Therein begins the shroud of mystery that surrounds the fight itself— Simply put, 
We don't know the real reason why it happened. We don't know the specifics of how it happened. We also don't know who won. With that said, let's dive into some of the varying accounts to get an idea of what each side suggests. And by side, I'm referring to there being basically two sides to the story. One side coming from Bruce Lee's camp, the other from Wong Jackman's. Even though the movie says the fight took place on November 24th, 1964, according to the article that the movie is based on, the fight took place in December of 1964. Something else that the movie claims as being the reason for the fight, other than freeing the girl, was because Shaolin didn't like that Bruce Lee was teaching Caucasians, basically teaching non-Chinese people martial arts. And it is true that according to Lee's side of the story, that's the real reason for the fight. On the line, if Lee lost, was the agreement that Lee would have to stop teaching Caucasians. But Wong Jackman himself insisted that race had nothing to do with it. Instead, it was simply a reply to Bruce Lee's open call for challengers. You see, Bruce Lee was positioning himself as the one that no one could beat, something that really helped gain students. Wong wanted to challenge that in an attempt to gain students of his own. So, while some believe Lee's side of the story, others side with Wong's side of the story, pointing to the fact that Wong Jackman would go on to teach Caucasians himself as well. How about for the fight? Okay, according to the movie, it's an epic battle of crazy talent on screen. At one point, I paused the movie and counted a grand total of 12 people in attendance, and that makes sense because at one point in the movie, Steve relays to Bruce Lee that one of the requirements for the fight was that it be in the warehouse by the docks that Wong trains in and that there would be no more than 12 people in attendance. Oh, and he also suggests that there be a few ground rules, namely no kicking the groin or eye jabs. In the movie, Philip Ung's version of Bruce Lee agrees to the location, but not to the ground rules. As a little side note, the movie's explanation for the location was that the warehouse was where Wong Jackman was training, but it never really explains how Wong, who the movie shows just arriving in San Francisco a little while earlier, has access to this randomly abandoned warehouse that just so happens to look like a great set for a kung fu fight. In truth, the real fight took place at Bruce Lee's gym, where he ran his martial arts training. They actually locked the doors so no one could get in except for those who were allowed in. And again, we've got some differing accounts on how many people were actually there. According to Bruce Lee's wife, Linda, there were a total of 13 people there, including herself. On the other side, Wong said there were only seven people there, Linda included. Still, another of the witnesses remembered 15 people being there. In the end, we really only have three variations of the story. Well, I guess there's a very brief reference from Bruce Lee himself in an interview much later on, but it really didn't give any details, so it's hardly worth mentioning. The two primary accounts that we have of the fight were from Linda, Bruce's wife, and Wong Jackman himself. And those accounts vary quite a bit from both each other and what we saw on screen. According to Linda's side of the story, which you can find in her book called Bruce Lee, The Man Only I Knew, the fight was heavily in Bruce's favor. Wong held a classic stance while Bruce Lee used the Wing Chun style he'd learned from Ip Man years ago. With a no-holds-barred fight, Bruce unleashed a flurry of attacks that Wong just couldn't handle. Just a few minutes later, the fight was over with Wong begging for the fight to end after being pounded by Bruce. Total fight time, according to Linda, 
was three minutes. Wong Jackman's own version of the story is quite a bit different. While it's true that there were no rules, referees, or anything else to stop the fight, Wong said that he realized early on in the fight that Bruce Lee really wanted to kill him. Wong went on to explain that there's three sets of moves in Wing Chun. Bruce used all three of these, focusing on a brutalizing flurry of attacks that targeted kicks at Wong's groin or using his fingers to poke Wong's eyes. But he was able to parry most of Bruce's attacks, contrasting Lee's three Wing Chun sets with the dozens of sets of attacks that he'd learned in his Northern Shaolin style. According to Wong, the more he defended, the more it infuriated Bruce. Wong's version of the story was that despite Bruce's fury, Wong himself fought more defensively throughout most of the fight. In the movie, there's one moment during the fight where Wong has Lee in a headlock, but lets him go. That's something Wong said happened not once, but three times throughout the fight. While he delivered a few attacks to Bruce's head and body, for the most part, Wong explained he fought defensively. On this side of the story, Wong later told his friends that he didn't want to use any kicks against Bruce because he didn't want to permanently injure Lee. About the fight, Wong would recall, quote, I remember thinking, if he injures me, if he really hurts me, I'll have to kill him, end quote. Now, if Wong's version of the story sounds like it lasted longer than Linda's three-minute version, you're correct. According to Wong Jackman, the fight lasted at least 20 minutes, maybe around 25 minutes or so. He said the fight ended when, as Linda explained it, Bruce got, quote, unusually winded, end quote. The only other account we have of the fight comes from another witness named William Chen. In his recollection, the fight lasted for about 20 to 25 minutes, similar to Wong's. William also said there's no truth to Wong being beaten to the floor and begging for the fight to be over, like Linda's account suggested. So, as you can tell, there's different versions of the fight. And this is just my own speculation, but I think the mere fact that there's differing accounts of the tale really has helped spawn the mythos around it. I mean, you have two wildly different versions of the story. On one side, Bruce Lee handily defeated Wong Jackman, on the other side, Wong Jackman fought defensively and the fight ended when Bruce was winded, no mention of Wong himself being winded. No matter what happened, I'd venture to guess that it was quite an amazing fight. And even though the movie's version isn't going to be entirely accurate, if there's one thing I'm guessing it had in common with the real thing, it's that they're both amazing fights to witness. At the very end of the movie, there's some text on screen that says Bruce Lee altered his fighting style after the fight with Wong Jackman. It goes on to say that it was in July of 1969 when he introduced Jeet Kune Do, the forerunner of mixed martial arts. That's true. With Linda's version of her husband's fight, Bruce Lee spent the next decade of his life changing up his fighting style because the fight with Wong Jackman had left him unusually tired, something that had never happened before. After that, he realized the Wing Chun style just wasn't enough for him. Although Wong Jackman never offered any reasons as to why Bruce Lee changed his styles, Many others have speculated on his behalf that perhaps the longer length, 20 to 25 minutes instead of just three minutes like Linda's version suggests, and then added on top of that, the resulting draw after being winded were reasons why Bruce Lee came up with a new style. Regardless of the reasons, 
It was on July 9, 1969, when Bruce Lee unveiled his Jeet Kune Do system. In the end, unfortunately, we'll likely never know the true story of what really happened. After the fight, Wong Jack Man slipped into anonymity, largely by choice, as he focused on teaching martial arts until finally retiring in 2005. As for Bruce Lee, we all know he went the opposite direction as far as being in the spotlight, although plenty could argue he was already in the spotlight before the fight. After all, his first role was as a baby in the 1941 film Golden Gate Girl. Bruce Lee blew up in popularity with the success of playing the character of Kato in The Green Hornet TV series in 1966 and 1967. In the early 1970s, Bruce Lee was working on a film he was writing, directing, and starring in called The Game of Death, when Warner Brothers offered an unheard amount, $850,000, to make the very first kung fu film produced by a Hollywood studio. Pausing his work on The Game of Death, Bruce went to work on the movie called Enter the Dragon, with the idea that he would return to The Game of Death when it was done. Sadly, that would never happen. On May 10, 1973, he was working on dubbing a voiceover for Enter the Dragon when he started to suffer seizures and headaches, finally collapsing and being rushed to the hospital. A couple months later, on July 20th, he visited with a man named Raymond Chow, who was one of the producers on The Game of Death. Together, the pair went to the home of an actress in the film, Betty Ting Pei, to go over lines. Complaining of a headache, Betty gave Bruce Lee an aspirin, and then Bruce lay down for a nap before meeting up with Raymond for dinner later on. When he didn't show up for dinner, Raymond returned to Betty's apartment and tried to wake Bruce up. When he wouldn't wake up, they called for an ambulance. Bruce Lee passed away in the ambulance before reaching the hospital. This episode of Based on a True Story was written and produced by me, Dan Lefebvre. To learn more about the life of Bruce Lee, I would really recommend reading the book by his wife, Linda, called Bruce Lee, The Man Only I Knew. There's an account of the fight in there. Or to get another side of the story, look for the article by Michael Dorgan that the movie is based on called Bruce Lee's Toughest Fight. I'll add links to the book, the article, and plenty more resources to begin your deep dive into the story of the fight between Bruce Lee and Wong Jackman over at BasedOnTrueStoryPodcast.com. Before we get to the answer to the two truths and a lie game, here's another five-star review. This one comes from Cameron Mohan over on Apple Podcasts, and it says, A well-done, well-researched podcast. A good way to learn more about history after watching the historical movies. Thank you. I really appreciate your taking the time to not only listen to the show, but to leave a rating and review. Thanks so much, Cameron. Oh, and before we wrap up today, I want to say... Thank you again to Shandell for becoming an official producer of the show and for picking this movie to cover. I really hope that even though there's a lot we don't know about the facts of the fight and the details of exactly what happened, I hope that you learned something new. Okay, now it's time for the answer to our two truths and a lie game from the beginning of the episode. As a refresher, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one, Bruce Lee and Wong Jackman really did fight. Number two, Steve McKee really did free his girlfriend thanks to the fight between Lee and Wong. Number three, Bruce Lee did change his fighting style after the fight with Wong. Did you find out which one is a lie? The lie is, 
Number 2 As we learned, Steve McKee was a fictional character. That whole storyline with him and his girlfriend was all made up for the movie. So, now that you have a better idea of some of the different versions of the story between Bruce Lee and Wong Jackman, now it's your turn. What do you think really happened? Consider this your official invitation to join the Based on a True Story Facebook group and share your thoughts with the community. You can also find me on Twitter where I'm at Dan Lefeb, D-A-N-L-E-F-E-B, or you can unlock access to bonus episodes by supporting the show over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. And don't forget, you can find the entire archive of free episodes on the show's home on the web, basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you again really soon. <laughs>